What's Left of the Watchmen, uh, a Watchmen review podcast from a leftist perspective. I'm your host, Anthony Montarulo, joined by my co-host, Comrade Dracula. Comrade, what's going on? I was fortunate enough to, uh, this weekend, go see uh, the uh, Taiki Watiti movie, Jojo Rabbit, uh, a dark satire about Nazi youth in the waning days of World War II, and it's easily the best film of the year that I've seen. Like I've, I don't remember the last time I laughed this much at a movie. Uh, and there are definitely like some, some really hard hitting emotional moments, but because you're kind of like, so, uh, loosened up from laughing constantly, uh, those moments when they hit you, you're just like gut punched basically. Um, just amazing film. And I don't know how he made this, you know, other than like he made Thor Ragnarok and that made so much money. They were like, Oh, you can, we'll make you look, you can make whatever you want. The funniest of the Marvel movies also. Uh, Yeah. And also the most colorful, you know, like as a director, really fucking fun. He's not afraid to just show things in like all like, you know, he's even said like, you know, every war movie looked dirty and gritty and, grimy and it's like berlin was like they painted the buildings pink and yellow in berlin like this is, this is a really colorful world their clothing was colorful you know so he uh i mean the costume is amazing scar johansson i hate that she says such, such terrible things because she's such a great fucking actor especially in this movie uh so i know we're not here to talk about that i just want to get that out of the way if you haven't seen it if you're listening to this go see that movie you're gonna laugh your fucking ass off yeah no, i for sure want to see it and uh, for people that like Takita Wikiti, I can't fucking say his name, that guy, uh, you also should check out uh, What We Do in the Shadows, which is a super oh, fucking also funny. Hilarious. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like, sat, like very British sensibilities. Uh, it's basically like a satirical reality show, but like following. Yeah, it's a mockumentary. Yeah. A mockumentary so. following like this group of like vampires, but and they're actual vampires, but it's just played very like matter of factly. Super fucking funny. Yeah. No, um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so if you didn't already know about uh, he directs this Jojo Rabbit, but also uh, stars in the film uh, as a 10 year old boy's imaginary friend who is Adolf Hitler. But yep. the, the version of Hitler that a 10 year old boy would imagine. Right. So uh, like, he, you know, he doesn't know about all the evil stuff. Right. He just th- sees this charismatic figure who's a complete raving narcissist. <laughs> right. <laughs> so it, it, the, the some of the I mean, the, the kid they cast in this is amazing. Um, and just some of the scenes they have together are just like there's things you can get away with. Uh, humor wise when a kid's involved that you can't with an it's adult. <laughs> so they yeah. really walk the line of like, like, I can't believe they just did that joke. <laughs> so, 
Yeah. Well, um, today we're here to talk about uh, Watchmen Episode 3, which was called She Was uh, Killed by Falling Space Junk. Was that She Was Killed by Space Junk? Yeah. Killed by Killed by Space Junk, uh, which is a line from a Devo song called Space Junk. Um, and Devo also plays into the episode a little bit later. Uh, but, you know, obviously that line is much more uh, in reference to the final shot of the episode, which we will get to. So let's just get into it because uh, there's a lot to unpack here. It definitely wasn't uh, quite as heavy uh on on an action or exposition this week you know we we mainly stayed with uh Lori Blake who we you know uh readers of the comic know as uh Silk Spectre 2 daughter of the original Silk Spectre uh and also daughter of uh the comedian um so uh but we you know we she's one of the characters we have not seen uh as of yet until this episode uh and we're introduced to her she is of course, an FBI agent, uh, because, you know, in the interim period between uh, Watchmen, uh, the comic and this series, uh, you know, most of the original Watchmen were either captured or uh, obviously in the case of Warshak killed. But uh, in, at uh, the PD files talk about how in 95, uh, Silk Spectre and Night Owl were both captured and Night Owl, I guess, decided to not work with the feds uh so he's still in captivity uh and not only did Lori agree to work with the feds she became a fed and is now on the vigilante task force where they're basically you know setting up these sting operations as we see in the you know the, the kind of one of the opening scenes of the of the episode to catch uh like you know wannabe vigilantes in, yeah. in the act mr shadow who is yeah <laughs> looked like he was about 65 years old and was certainly a, a bit of a mockery of uh sort of the the christian bale Batman. oh it, was, it, it, it reminded me though of that movie where like he's got like where he like saves the guys and he's like i'm not wearing hockey pet like it very much reminded me of like yeah. the hockey pad wearing <laughs> vigilantes from uh dark knight totally. uh rises but so yeah so the opening scene we see of her though She's in uh, she's in this phone booth, uh, which is supposedly a phone booth that you can uh, leave kind of voicemails for Dr. Manhattan. Uh, it's it's owned by True Industries and uh, Lady True is not coming to the story yet, although I think next week we're going to finally be introduced to mm-hmm. her. Seems to be playing a very yeah, prominent the, role. The phone booth unclear. thing seemed like almost like a bit of a novelty, you know, like no, like one, it maybe no didn't really even believed. work. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost just like a confessional booth, you know, where, yeah. where yeah. you know, in, the, in, in this version of the Watchmen, uh, Dr. Manhattan's not hated as the person that blew up Manhattan the way he did in the Zack Snyder film, uh, because actually, uh, you know, the way the way it ends in, in, the comics actually makes sense. <laughs> you, can, yeah. you know, if you think about like the way, like, you know, the idea that if, if Dr. Manhattan blew up New York city, that suddenly Russia and the U S would come together. Like that just doesn't make any sense. It's not yeah. an external yeah. threat; it's an internal. So it, anyway, so. Well, uh, and, and Dr. Manhattan worked on the United States' behalf in Vietnam. So it's, right. it would be preposterous for him to be the one that brought Russia and the U S together because obviously he's right. 
you know, an agent of the, yeah, but yeah, but yeah. Okay. So anyway, Zack Snyder doesn't products, you know, that are sort of marketed under the, the Dr. Manhattan brand, you know, and we don't really know if he has anything to do with that, <laughs> nor, nor does he care. <laughs> we we uh, see one very particular product marketed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. We'll get to that uh, later. Yeah. I'm we'll sure get to that. Than, uh, everyone's thinking about that. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so the phone booth, phone uh, booth. Yeah. And mm-hmm. it's got like a little bit of graffiti in there. So it looks like, you know, maybe it's not like it's been around for a while and doesn't get used very often. Often, but she's still very much like this is her, you know, it's like you, you, you never her therapy her love, you know, like she's yeah. clearly uh, very focused on him. Right. And when she gets on the call, it even says like, oh, thanks for being a platinum member. Like she calls him <laughs> all the fucking time. Yeah. Uh, and you know, whether he's on Mars or Mars or not, we know that he's capable of hearing her if he wants to. Right. So the question of course is, uh, does he? Mm hmm. And, of course, we still don't know the answer to that. Uh, we don't know what role he's going to play in the series, if any, other than the fact that he obviously looms large over it. Um, yeah, so we get that scene. She starts to tell a joke in that scene. And we we kind of... The, the joke's teased out over the course of the entire episode. Uh, and, you know, it's basically a joke about... Uh, you know, people have you know seen this show. I won't re- recount the whole thing, but I, I'm not really quite sure what the joke is supposed to mean. Uh, you know about about the three uh, heroes that she talks about who end up uh, you know face to face with God, and he asks them you know what they've done, and they they each tell them they each tell him, and uh, it's supposedly God snaps his fingers and they all go to hell. And, and obviously, in the joke she's talking about uh, Osmandius, uh, Night Owl, and then Doctor Manhattan. Um, uh, you know, it's an interesting, uh, framing for the whole episode. I'm not quite sure what the deeper meaning well, it's, though. it's saying that like, no matter what kind of vigilante you try to be, you're still going to do wrong somehow. Right. And yeah. it's also, she's kind of saying, saying like the, the way that I got out of that world was by, you know, basically conforming to the law and becoming a cop. <laughs> right. And it's, yeah. and it's also sort of just like, like her mental state of, of I'm, I'm sort of superior to all these people. And it's part of kind of that, that, that is her mask really, uh, that she only kind of lets down when she's, you know, towards the last 50 seconds of her phone call, she kind of opens up a little bit. Uh, but it's it sort of, it sort of reminded me of a uh, Jurassic park when, uh, um, Oh gosh, help me out. Uh, the, the woman in Jurassic park. Oh, uh, Laura Dern. Yeah. Laura Dern. She's like, uh, yeah. man, uh, God creates man. Man creates dinosaurs. Dinosaurs kill man. Woman takes over the earth. <laughs> <laughs> so a little, little bit, a little touch of that too, but great line. Yeah, great yeah, great look from Goldblum in that scene. <laughs> yeah. too. Well, you notice that like, even though he's out of can out of, out of focus in the shot, they like, they like mm-hmm. rack focus from the, the two guys to her. When she's yeah. saying that, that Sam Neill just gets this huge grin on his face, and you don't really know if that was improvised or not. Or yeah, no. uh, but it just it, it you see it out of focus, it makes it so much better. But yeah, I mean, she's jaded. You know, you can see that she's been living a pretty lonely life. Um, we uh, working in, you know, as an FBI agent, I imagine is is somewhat isolating in and of itself, but. Uh, yeah. you know, just her worldview is also very isolating. You know, when you, when you look at everybody as, as absurd and laughable and, and beneath you, then who do you have as a, as an equal, right? She, well, yeah, once you've very dated, <laughs> once you've dated a God, how can you ever kind of look back down and go, oh, okay. Yeah. Well, then she seems to have no, it's almost like Manhattan's kind of like rubbed off on her. She has no value 
seemingly for human life. Like even in the scene, the opening scene with the bank robbery set up, she, you know, shoots the vigilante in the back. And then the guy says, uh, how'd you know his body armor would stop you? And it's very obvious. She's like, I don't fucking know. Like, whatever. Well, <laughs> if, if you have to didn't didn't. say that a lesser show yeah. would have been like, she would have been like, I didn't. And then like walked off, off the frame. Yeah. I mean, like, but they leave it to you to, you know, well, my guess was that she she clearly everywhere she goes knows the answer to every question she's already asking. So she would have done her homework and actually investigated and figured out, hey, is this guy's armor bulletproof and can I actually shoot him? Right. She wouldn't just murder the guy. Right. Uh, I don't think she's that reckless, but they just leave it ambiguous. And I like that 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 yeah. is, is a is a writing choice. They just be like, all right, well, you, you're going to figure out she's really fucking smart. <laughs> yeah. She's smarter than all these other people here. Uh, but I mean, and they also try to are trying to show that she is fundamentally broken as a person. I mean, she's, you know, obviously still kind of pining for for John, for Dr. Manhattan, who uh, not only abandoned her, but abandoned humanity, uh, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, and then there's also obviously her love for for Daniel uh, Night Owl, who's in custody. And, you know, they uh, uh, Senator Keene even makes mention of the fact later on that, like, mm-hmm. hey, you know. Maybe, uh, you know, we can we can get him out or, or I, I forget exactly what it was the context. And but it, it made it clear that she's still trying to figure out a way to get him out sure. of custody. Well, I thought it was funny that, you know, she she picks this rookie agent to be her partner for the trip. And on the jet trip, he's he's you know talking about the past of, uh, you know, the Watchmen. And, and she's like, look, I don't really care about the past. And it's like, are you kidding? You got a giant Andy Warhol poster of the Watchmen on your fucking wall. <laughs> so fucking cool. You got a fucking owl in a so cage awesome. to remind you that your other boyfriend's still in jail. Um, <laughs> you have a I, giant blue fucking dildo. Yeah. You so willfully turned into the daughter of the comedian that now you have to crack jokes every five minutes. You know, like yeah, you just yeah. that's, you became the comedian. Right. <laughs> and I love the little the little Blade Runner nod um, with the owl there because, you know, in Bl- the original Blade Runner, there's there's the cybernetic owl and Harrison Ford says, is it real? Uh, and she says, of course not. Like the person he's talking to. And they reprise that in Blade Runner tw- uh, 2049, where there's a Harrison Ford has this dog. And, uh, you know, he's asked, is, is that dog real? And he goes, I don't know. Ask him. <laughs> and in the Watchmen scene, he's he's saying, uh, wh- what's the owl's name? Who? The owl. No, that's his name. Who? Why don't you ask him? So it seemed like a very deliberate little nod to that, like that. Abbott and Costello. Part of, uh, that, but like, uh, you know, part of the artificial animal scene from both Blade Runner yeah, kind, yeah, of, yeah. kind of mixed together there. Well, you know, Lindelof really likes his Easter eggs and he likes referencing things. I mean, even later in the episode, there's this great shot of uh, Laurie getting on an elevator and it's super fucking reminiscent of that, that great shot from the opening of silence of the lambs where Clarice gets on uh, an elevator and she's like, you know, like it's a very uh, good perspective shot because like, she's like a foot and a half shorter than every like man in the, in the elevator. Right. And it's very much like, and the fact that she's an FBI agent, I thought that was like pretty, deliberate sure, um sure. and actually even in the watchman po- i listened to the watchman podcast um later on in the day which was with lindelof and um chuck something the guy who created uh uh, uh chernobyl I, f- I forget his name but uh craig or craig mason that's who it was uh interviewing lindelof and and he mentioned he didn't mention that scene but he, he mentioned how she's like 
the parallels between her and Clarice Starling from mm-hmm. Sounds of the Lambs were pretty uh, was, on his mind in this episode. Yeah, I, I thought the casting of uh, Gene Smart was amazing too, because uh, they, you know, in the original uh, Watchmen comic and in Zack Snyder's film, uh, you know, Silk Spectre's two's legs are very prominent in the costume. <laughs> mm-hmm. And the, there's that great shot of uh, Jean Smart walking and she's got like, she's walking to to the bank and the, the camera's almost on the ground looking up at her. And she's got like this red trench coat and it's kind of blowing in the wind, very cape-like. Uh, and you, you the, the shot very much notices like that uh, her legs, like she's 68 and she's in fantastic shape, <laughs> right? So yeah. uh, just, just little, you know, slight nods to that. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, yeah, so uh, we get the scene where Senator Keene visits her apartment, and there's, you know, clearly something uh, at play there. You know, I, obviously, he's... He's been there super, before. <laughs> well, yeah, that, well, number one, that's for sure. It seems like she's she's the kind who's just like, all right, you know. We, we see later on in the episode her, her and, and uh, Agent, Agent Petey. Petey. Yeah. <laughs> who, of Petey Files fame, by the way, for people who've been following along with the kind of ARG element of the series where yeah. they they had these like these kind of expository like FBI files. That's actually the agent that's been compiling them in the in the like online you know universe. Uh, but so it's interesting that she chose him to come along. Um, and I don't no, really think she does things like that she, by accident. Like, no, of course she chose him because he was going to be malleable, not because he yeah. was a, a an investigative asset. Right. And she probably also thought like, yeah, I can bang this kid. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it'll, it'll do it. <laughs> uh, when, when you have a very big string, string attached to, to somebody who's unattainable, you tend to still have a very no strings attached to everybody else. Yeah. But so now it's also, uh, it becomes pretty obvious to me that there's something going on with Senator Keene beyond just, you know, he's the right wing candidate running to replace Redford. Like, it seems like he's clearly uh, he could be in league with the 7th Cavalry, you know, much like we we, we assume that Judd <laughs> is or might be. Um, well, I think he was he was honest when she said, well, you want to prevent this from turning into an all out war because that'll ruin your presidential bid. And he's yeah. very he, he silently acknowledge that that's very true but we we could you still get the sense especially with the you know the the terrorists uh uh suicide bomber that it you know felt very staged like hit very yeah, expected very right when when someone's immediately right out there in the press conference saying you know, you know thanking law enforcement for how brave they are like come on yeah the exact come on yeah. nobody does that who's not the villain <laughs> yeah no for sure and also the fact that he immediately was like, oh, yeah, sure, I'll go with you. Don't worry about it. Like, you know, not not like waiting for anyone to say anything. Yeah, it was just very, very suspect. Um, but we'll get to that scene. Uh, yeah, I, me- I mentioned the thing about the the uh, owl. So um, the uh, where am I next? Uh, so. The warehouse scene is next where she shows up at the this kind of warehouse where they're, I guess, doing like mass interrogations. And it's and this is, again, like, you know, we talked a lot on the podcast about how for people like people that have just just a very like plain text reading of the show because of like some trailer they watched because I, you know, I presume that the people who who like have that really like, you know, kind of wrote criticism of the show being like super pro cop have never actually watched the show. Um, but this is again, why I say like, there's not really a good guy on this, sh- a good, you know, like a, like a protagonist necessarily 
on this show. Like, or, or, uh, it's it's very shades of gray with all of its characters. I mm-hmm. mean, you know, obviously the cops are not the fucking good guys on the show. They're super fascist. They're, you know, keeping these guys who may or may not be Seventh Cavalry, like prisoner, you know, without any kind of due process in this warehouse. They're like bulk interrogating them, beating the shit out of them. Yeah, well, that was one of my favorite lines from the uh, from the pilot was Tim Blake Nelson is uh, looking glass and the guy says, I, I want my lawyer. And he goes, yeah, we don't have to do that with terrorists. <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, I, I totally, you know, don't don't agree with that, but it's just like, of like, course, yeah. Tim Blake Nelson. No, he, he's, on the yeah. Show. Chewing the scenery is just uh, fucking yeah. amazing. There's Tim actually, um, the he's not been on the show a lot, you know, like he's still yeah. one of the minor characters. There is going to be a full episode that's almost completely just him. Like uh, his, ar- I, yeah, I heard there's going to be an origin yeah. story of his, of his which is, yeah. I'm very well, interested it, it, to see. I, I love that they're kind of doing this where now we've kind of switched perspectives so that when you see the, you know, our, our closest thing we have to a hero is obviously Angela. Uh, we're suddenly seeing her from a totally different point of view. Right. And and I, mm. and I love that the show will, is, will do that because it forces you to not see everyone the way you want to see them. Right. You, you start to see this person is more suspect and their behavior is, is potentially uh, more problematic than we would have otherwise. Right. So, uh, yeah, and I love that little short little scene with um, Agent Petey uh, and uh, Lori Blake in the van when they're waiting outside that warehouse because he's like, mm-hmm. are you sure this is the right one? You know, because it's it's clear this is this is a black site. This is like a black yeah, yeah, site yeah. interrogation thing where they've got like a you know attack dogs and all this stuff. Uh, and she she like mocks his PhD and <laughs> in that moment, you know, kind of saying like uh, you know maybe you should just be patient and use your you know powers of observation because there's a fucking police van right there coming down the street that you would have noticed if you looked a little <laughs> bit longer. Uh, yeah. So she's kind of saying like you know actual detective work is better than having a like a huge uh you know historical background on everything i I also love how amused she is by like the vigilante persona of the cops like how how they come out they're like and she's like who are you guys now and he's like it's uh red scare and pirate jenny she's like oh all right (laughs) (laughs) she's just like so like annoyed by the whole fucking right well situation in tulsa she uh you know clearly has has moved away from where she came from originally but yeah i I love that she has the guy they've got the white supremacist like sir your civil rights being violated (laughs) yes yes they just grabbed me she's like no i i I was just kidding i don't really care yeah uh yeah and and that's you know the the whole episode she's very much you know her father's daughter she's like you know the comedic relief of the entire episode cracking jokes um which is you know just an interesting uh, interesting like sign of her transformation because obviously silk specter she was not that much of a nihilistic character and the fact that she's now given up on that completely maybe as a defense mechanism to cope with the loss of manhattan and of of night owl uh she's become much like her father this kind of like you know mercenary for hire you know at the behest of of the u.s government so Mm -hmm. she's very much adopted not only you know his his job but his persona to kind of deal with sure her new situation and the fact that you know it's the senator who got her assigned to go work this case like this is this is basically a political job she's doing like she's she's working on behalf of this guy who's clearly not an honest actor uh uh so yeah no it's it's very much the 
you know, in line with uh, the comedian going and basically becoming an assassin for the, for the government. <laughs> Although we, we would presume she's not that far gone. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, so uh, she goes back to the uh, Black Fla- the uh, Black Freighter Motel, which is obviously a, a little Easter egg nod to the Black Bit, Tales of the Black Flater. I can't say freighter. I fuck can't say freighter. <laughs> Black freighter from the comic. Um, and uh, that's, you know, where we get that little scene between. So uh, real yeah. quick, in that establishing shot of the Black freighter uh, motel, and you can see like everything on the landscape is no more than one or two stories tall. You see off in the distance, there's these just a couple of massive, very high tech looking uh, towers uh, just disappearing up into the sky. Right. And I don't know if there was any. Yeah conjecture about what those actually were some kind of energy well so one of them i believe is the millennium clock which lady true uh not in that shot not in that not in that these were two two really thick looking things like they could have been buildings but they didn't they probably were vite technology and or buildings though because she apparently uh, bought up his assets when he disappeared right and I think he was he was building like he was trying to create like some kind of advanced race of the future that was like, you know, technologically forward and all this shit. Mm-hmm. So he's very much the guy that would be building that obviously the Millennium Clock, but probably other similar buildings and or structures. So what, do we know yet what the Millennium Clock does or is that just no. like a like a we'll, <laughs> we'll find out next episode kind of thing? I have no clue. I mean, maybe there's something uh, in like the kind of expanded universe of Watchmen that that explains it more i did not do a ton of research into that but yeah. as far as i know that's not something that we know much about yet and i'm sure that'll be like crucial to to Vite's plan and or lady true's uh situation so hmm. um but yeah, yeah it's, it, there's just all these little flourishes especially like with the or the, the washington monument has this r- floating ring around it and it's like is that is that technology or is that just they added like an observation deck up there? Like you don't really mm-hmm. know. And I kind of like not knowing because we, we clearly this is a different world and not everything needs an explanation. But it is interesting that they're very anti-technology where there's no Internet and they still use pagers. Yet you have these giant, you know, thousand foot tall, very high tech looking towers in the middle of you know, middle of Oklahoma. <laughs> they, they don't even bother explaining what it is. It's just like, eh, there it is. Yeah. So I didn't actually take notes on this because I, I think I was just so flabbergasted in the moment. But I believe this this motel scene before she goes and knocks on uh, on Petey's door is when she pulls out the 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 giant uh, replica Doctor Manhattan uh, phallus where she's fucking. Um, yeah, I, I just can't. I, the, the ridiculousness of that that little bit of kind of like recurring plot throughout the episode where she like tries to open her case and then she gets interrupted and then, you know, she well, drops you, it. Like you notice that she has the, you know, her, her, uh, the combo lock is six, 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 same as uh Vincent and uh, Pulp Fiction. Uh, <laughs> and in Pulp Fiction, when he opens the case, it like glows. Yeah. Gold. The same. That's Mar- Marcel's walls of soul. And here it glows blue the same way as like all the, the Manhattan tech glows blue. <laughs> and we're like, Oh, but what was in it? And then you don't find out till actually the, <clears throat> pretty close to the end um yeah after the the uh, a- uh adrian Vite interlude that it's this just massive fucking tilt <laughs> it's like just just wildly impractical too like i i, I can't imagine i almost wonder if that's like a novelty but like what like that seems to be hey everything's a dildo if you're brave enough all right <laughs> 
Well, then she's also on the inside of the on the top of the inside of the briefcase. She's got the <laughs> cover of the Esquire magazine that featured her and Doctor Manhattan for her Manhattan yeah. back when she was you know sort of famous. Just for, um, so, you know, material, I guess. <clears throat> yeah, apparently. That's what, yeah. That's what people for, that's what older people use for material, just I mean, like just, the cover like of a magazine. In this bulletproof case that took up half of her travel carry on thing. It's just so, like, this is clearly, this is, this is her I have baggage. so many questions about this, this <laughs> fucking thing. So was, was this mass produced or is this something that like Manhattan made for her especially or that she had made? Like, uh, it, it, it seems like it's just anyone can trademark it because he doesn't care. <laughs> you know, like anyone can just make a, a blue thing and call it the. Dr. But it was actually Manhattan. glowing. So, like, did it have Manhattan tech or is that just like a uh, like a glow in the dark? Like, it's very, I'm very confused. I mean, it, was, it seemed like it was like metallic and shiny. So maybe it just caught the light. In, in, <laughs> maybe. Or maybe she had like a light in there that reflects off of it. Oh, like, <laughs> it just. Ugh. Oh man, maybe so it's a bong too. I mean, he had like different parts that you know, like he had to like attach the balls. Well, she, atta- the- I was gonna say, yeah, she attached <laughs> like the balls, which was like, what is? Could that not like uh, sit as one? You, I don't know. It was uh, very, very interesting. It'd be super funny if that comes back later, and that's not what we think it is. It ends up being like a weapon of some type or some shit. Like you never know. Hey, you clearly she's got lots of weapons on her in, in different places. So. Uh, it remains to be seen. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, uh, you know, following that, we get the scene of Judd's funeral, which, uh, obviously a lot happens there, but, uh, you know, they, they go to enter, uh, the, the funeral at the gate and it's, you know, guarded by Tulsa cops. And I guess they confiscated everyone's weapons at the gate. Uh, which is interesting, but I guess, you know, it's just a security risk, no matter who it is going in. I guess they wanted to make sure nobody had any uh, weapons going in. But obviously, you know, we know we, we see in an earlier scene that Laurie has a has an ankle holster uh, with a pistol. So uh, they go into the funeral and it's a pretty standard funeral. Obviously, we see the flag with. Uh, way more than 50 uh, stars on it. I don't know if anyone's actually gone and counted, uh, but it seems to be... It, it looks like more than 51, but other people have said, it, oh, no, it actually is just 51. But really? It, 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 something about the way that it's on there makes it look like it's like 60 to me, or at least 60, but, but, but yeah, it, it doesn't really matter. Same, because like I've seen actual mock-ups of, of, of flag with like Puerto Rico as a state with 51, and it look, you can do our the flag we have now and it's nearly identical. You wouldn't know unless you were looking at them side by side. You just add mm, yeah. a star to an to one of the rows, and it just bumps. There's one extra row of extra. Like it's like, so it'd be weird to do it in that pattern unless they added a bunch of new states. But right. I don't know. I guess we'll figure that out eventually. Well, but, the, the the questions I had with that scene is, you know, uh, they, they mentioned something about like, oh, you must have had a high powered drill to burrow hundreds of feet in short of such a short amount of time. But again, it's kind of like, well, how do they even know when the funeral was or where, what actual plot it was going to be uh, to know where to drill the tunnel to and bust up through this, this month? Like, again, somebody on the inside must have given these guys yeah. information. There seems to be the, the, the seventh cavalry seems to be like, or the police, the Tulsa PD seems to be riddled with seventh cavalry, which I totally think is, is plausible, you know, given the fact that this is supposed to reflect 
you know, obviously it's an alternate universe, but racism in our modern society. And, you know, we know in our 2019 uh, that the uh, police departments are riddled with, uh, you know, hidden Klansmen, hidden neo-Nazis like it. That's a, a massive issue. Oh, yeah. Well, even when she's uh, at D.C. and her uh, FBI director is giving the, the intel briefing, he's like he acts like there's he has disdain for uh, white people that. Uh, don't mm-hmm. like black people getting property, and it's like, look at look at you, <laughs> flat top Tony, like you. <laughs> yeah, blah blah blah. It's like there's no this virtue signaling is really over the top, dude. Like there's no yeah. way you're not a fucking racist. Like, yeah, you, like you're, you're so close to it, you don't realize that you like you're you're looking in the mirror there. Um, yeah, but yeah, yeah. It's a, no, clearly what, there's, there's we even with the, the yellow masks on, we can see there's quite a bit more black officers on this force than your typical police force. Uh, you know, because it is Tulsa, Oklahoma, but, yeah. uh, you know, again, it's like you, you don't know, you've got a bunch of white supremacists wearing masks and you got all the cops wearing masks. Right. Yeah. Uh, and we all get a couple few, you know, brief little shots where we can tell, uh, you could tell like looking glass was one of the, the, in, like a regular police uniform in that shot. Uh, I believe, oh, I, I believe tough. as was, uh, pirate Jenny, uh, and red scare, they were in like regular police uniforms, uh, during the, the funeral. <laughs> Which is just weird because like nobody actually doesn't like a, a fucking like hole in the ground burial funeral anymore. I've been mm-hmm. to one of those in my entire life, and it was like when I was a kid. Nobody did. Nobody actually does those anymore. <laughs> it's just very bizarre. Yeah, I've, I don't think anyone. Yeah, yeah I've, I haven't been to one of those it's just, in years. Know, in real life, you go to a room in a strip mall, and there's a casket, and people cry, and the ceilings like way too low, and there's panels, and it's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's not that's the way we do it now. It's like, all yeah. right, let's get get to the buffet. Uh, <laughs> But, you know, for, for filming reasons, the outdoor funeral still. Yeah. And obviously, you know, very reminiscent of uh, the comedian's funeral from from the comic and from the Zack Snyder movie. Even like, you know, certain shots are very, you know, kind of mirror that like the overhead shot of the coffin being lowered uh, or, you know, uh, perched above the, the hole. Obviously, this <laughs> the coffin in this uh, show doesn't get lowered so much as shoved in, you know, <laughs> flipped upside down yeah. to prevent the suicide yeah, bombing yeah, but um well, and, and that really made no sense uh because if you throw him down in the hole that's a good that's a good idea because the blaster goes straight up but then she dumps the casket on top of him so then it's like oh now the explosion has a ton of projectiles of of you know uh the the, the dead body and then all the wood and yeah. everything and the only reason she would do that would be to destroy the body because there was no toxicology report uh which they make a, a, a point of and they all sort of admit, you know, like we know that he was drunk and high at the time, right? Yeah, and and you know, who knows what else is behind that—the fact that she didn't want the body exhumed for, you know, maybe the toxicology or maybe for another reason. But um, maybe she just doesn't want to know if with if what she found the clan hood, if that was, you know, it, she maybe she just didn't want any more digging. Who knows? Um, maybe maybe she just had a, a moment of, of stupidity and thought like, oh, you know, I'll I'll throw him in a hole and then I'll cover the hole with something that'll make it even better of a, of a you know. Yeah. But she doesn't seem like the type yeah. of character that would have such a, a lapse in judgment. She's pretty uh, like on the ball when it comes to tactical shit. So I don't know. Well, I I just want to see the the scene where she has to you know talk to the 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 widow wife of like, Oh, Hey, sorry, I blew up your, <laughs> sorry, I desecrated your husband's body and had it blown into a thousand bits. Uh, where otherwise it would have just been like the side of a singe casket and his, you know, remains would have been decomposing intact essentially. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, but so in any event, uh, we do get this. We we as we mentioned, we get the scene uh, at the funeral where this Seventh uh, Cavalry member. It, it doesn't. It seems like he just crawls up this tunnel, which is already established. So I don't know why they keep saying like I don't know how he dug it so quick because he didn't seem to. I mean, unless I missed some context, it didn't seem like he had dug it at that moment. It seemed like it was pre-dug and he knew exactly where to go to get you know through again i think leading there's like a fucking looney tunes tunnel (laughs) no it really was and and, you know like you can't i hate that when tv shows do this like like the fucking uh secret soviet compound under the mall in stranger things three like you can't dig a fucking tunnel without people seeing where the dirt's (laughs) coming out of you gotta put the dirt somewhere somebody would notice that shit yeah you would think uh one would think but you know (laughs) um and so, you know, he, he, he comes up uh, through this mausoleum and he has a, uh, you know, C4 vest uh, with a dead man's trigger or dead man's trigger wired to his heart. Um, and, uh, you know, he, he demands that Senator Keene come with him. Uh, and as we mentioned, that seemed very suspect and very much like, yeah, a like where, where was he going to go? Is it they both going to cr- crawl down to the tunnel and then like crawl away at, you know, two miles an hour for hundreds of feet and then get caught on the other end of it? Like what? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it seemed very staged. But again, how do you get the how do you get the guy to bl- want to blow himself up for that? Right? Well, I don't think his intention ever was to actually blow himself up. I think he had a real bomb in case they inspected it. So the ruse wasn't. Sure, exposed, but, what was but his, what was his actual kidnapping plan to get the center out of there and have a ransom or whatever? Like there was, there's no possible way he's getting out of there, right? I mean, I, <laughs> may, I, you know, maybe Devil's Advocate was that he was gonna just kind of like you know walk out with him, like holding him against the bomb, and then you know make his escape, and then they were gonna hold do a whole show of holding him hostage. Who knows? I mean, and this is again presuming that he is you know working with them because we assume this right-wing super phony uh keen guy is working with them but even if he's not i mean i don't know what the plan was in that situation but Mm -hmm. you know in any event um he did have a live bomb and he said you know i have a dead man switch wire to my heart and then laurie uh shoots him in the head and uh i presumably thinking that he was bullshitting and then you know the the bomb starts to tick uh, as his heart starts to expire. And I noticed a lot of people complaining about like, oh, well, that's such a TV thing. Like, why did it blow up immediately? But I, like, I don't think he died immediately. I think his his heart was like, you know, like holding on. And sure. then like, just, yeah. yeah, I mean, you, you, can and, get, you can get shot in the head and bleed to death from it. it might be knocked out instantly. It doesn't mean your heart stops instantly. But, yeah. So, yeah, the only thing that I was thinking was like, well, well if he knows all those cops are not going to have guns there, uh, would he, you know, does he know enough about Lori Blake to know that, you know, she's an agent that would keep another gun hidden on her somewhere. So he would know, I don't that think at least one person yeah. there would have a gun and could take, take the person out. Right. So like, that's why he's putting himself at risk knowing that she's there. I don't think, I don't think they knew that Lori would show up to the funeral. I don't even think they knew much about he's the Lori's... one that sent her there. He's the one that sent her there. Oh, Keen, so, Keen, Keen. Okay, yeah. that's true, yeah. Yeah, um, so it's it's like, you know, to what level he's orchestrating things to make himself look good, that, hmm. that's kind of my question. Like, if he's not totally in league with them, is he pulling the right levers to create a situation where he becomes more prominent through the media, you know? Uh, or maybe he's using them. He They think he's in league with them, but he's really just, like you said, trying to build them up as this threat that he's going to stamp out. Right. Uh, and he's going to use that to propel himself into the presidency. Much like his father, you know, 
that was you know was responsible for the the keen act which originally outlawed vigilanteism it's like it's very yeah i don't know it's an interesting hmm i don't know it, it's interesting for sure but uh but and they actually mentioned i think in this episode that he's responsible for the uh I forget the name of the, it had a really funny, stupid name acronym, but it was the Dopa. act that allowed Dopa <laughs> that allowed the, uh, the, the Tulsa cops to wear masks, uh, in, in response. Yeah. Well, I, I love that he doesn't, he doesn't say that the plan is so popular. We're going to roll it out in like Atlanta and all these other cities. He says the acronym is so popular. We're going to roll it out in these other cities. <laughs> <laughs> Such a fucking politician. Such like a slicked hair, Gavin Newsom fucking scumbag. Like, you know, oh, totally. Yeah. Good cast. Um, for sure, for sure. The only better casting would have been uh fucking what's it, Littlefinger? <laughs> like just to play like just this. He plays such a great smarmy politician, oh, you know, in, yeah. in the Wire. Truly, truly one of the best things about the Wire. Yeah. Uh. So yeah, and, and then you know we we kind of touched on this for a second, but the the press conference, the very phony uh, stage press conference he gives when he's praising law enforcement, uh, and they the the press asked him if he's has any thoughts about rumors that the Russians are building their own intrinsic field generator and he mm. blows it off and like, that's not the Russians aren't my problem. The, this, this terrorists are my problem. These are the people we've got to fight in my own backyard. So it's kind of like the, just dropping that out of nowhere is kind of like, Oh, okay. That could that be a, like a, <laughs> could that be a major <laughs> plot point yeah. that is going to be expanded upon? Because and for people that don't know, that's how Dr. Manhattan was created. He, oh, he, everyone who's listening to this knows that. Come on. Well, they might not know the the intrinsic field generator. They just might think, oh, he was working with the you know science shit and big explosion. <laughs> right, right, right. So um, we yeah. would we would imagine that you know, if if you could create a, a godlike superhuman, use it as a weapon, then everyone would want to jump on board with that. But again, it's like, well, what what took Russia? 35 years to start doing that or, you know, or, or, or were they always Very trying stranger to, things season three? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of, kind of like, really, why would this, I mean, you would presume it's kind of like, you know, if we can make that, we can experiment. Well, with it seems it like the U S would make their own if that was actually a possibility and not just, you know, sure. Well, I, um, I guess that, like the big question is this, uh, you know, true industries or lady true. And like, would this millennia, like clearly there's other people who are all working on, uh, new technology that may or may yeah. not be uh, life changing or life destroying, uh, and this is this is going to become a bigger part of where the show is going going to right and why yeah you know whatever's happening in Tulsa has uh, world changing ramifications because if it didn't why would this be a Watchmen story <laughs> right uh, so yeah very very interesting to see kind of where all these things start actually converging. Cause as of right now, we really have three major different stories going on. Yeah. And before we get into the kind of last, uh, chunk of the episode, um, I, I did, I did briefly mention the Watchmen podcast, which, uh, is like an official HBO podcast. I think it's worth listening to if you want kind of further reading on the show, because Lindelof's very, He's not very coy about shit like he's if if it's not something that he wants you to necessarily puzzle about, he'll just be like, oh, no, like he'll just clarify it, like which is it's it's nice to not have to, you know, to follow breadcrumbs down a trail that's not supposed to necessarily be a trail like he mentions. Right. Red Fredations. And he clarified on the podcast like, yeah, it's not that it's not nationwide reparations, but the compromise 
that the Redford administration made with the Republican members of Congress was that instead of giving um, <clears throat> permanent reparations uh, to descendants of slaves, it basically is uh, doled out specifically to uh, victims of uh, uh, racially motivated uh, heinous acts like the t- 21 Tulsa bombing. Mm-hmm. He mentioned the victims of the Japanese internment camps, uh, Native American tribes that have had their land stolen. So it's actually not even just African-Americans. It's uh, it's like any kind of group that the U.S. government has harmed, any kind of racial group that the U.S. government has harmed, sure. which is great, which well, is on and, its own. And they great. hinted at um, that when uh, Angela goes to the to that museum and is trying to get the, the DNA Yeah, we speculated on that. They kind of said, bit. like, well, for, for this specific atrocity, you have to apply here. But it, nowhere does it say that this is the only form of reparations or the only facility that processes them for other so, yeah. uh, areas. And it's it's interesting. Um, he I, he mentioned also that in the eighties, I believe I, I'm, I'm like half this is like a half remembered story from the podcast that Al Sharpton tried to take uh, a reparations case to the Supreme Court or, or reparations for the victims of the Tulsa bombing to the to the state supreme court and the state supreme court wouldn't hear it uh back in the 80s and he said you know but or it, it might have even been the early 90s but in redford's america in the universe of watchmen he thinks that uh sharpton actually managed to get that case to the federal supreme court which was you know run by or, or uh, had a lot of redford appointees on it so congress in haste to put off uh you know, a, a nationwide reparations program came up with this compromise that they passed through where they just gave reparations to victims of, you know, U.S., uh, you know, imperialism or U.S. crime. Yeah, basically uh, racially motivated violence. So that's that was the kind of interesting backstory that he gave for that. So did you notice uh, the newspaper that one of the FBI agents is holding uh, when they do that staged uh, bank heist that it says Grisham to resign from Supreme Court. <laughs> yeah. And I, I freeze for you know, freeze frame that to read it. And I was like, well, that's a common last name, but apparently it's supposed to be actually be the author, John Grisham, John Grisham, who's right. Which is maybe just, a lawyer, but he writes like legal books. Like right. he writes like law well, drama mentioned on our other political podcast. I, I believe that, you know, you don't have to have a law degree to be on the Supreme Court. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that, I, I think I said that when I made my case for uh, Bernie appointing Cornell West as the Supreme Court justice when he yeah. <laughs> when he wins. Because uh, uh, obviously that shit would be awesome. If you don't know about our, our actual political podcast, Move Left Idiots, go check that out because uh, you should just listen to it. If you like what you hear here, check out our main yeah. show. Yeah, we do weekly news coverage from our socialist leftist perspective. Uh, and we, you know, we get into the horse race of the presidential election, but we also just talk about, you know, kind of underreported stories and media bias and things like that. So yeah, we, you know, we don't spend, we don't spend an hour talking about Donald Trump like they do on no, no. young Turks. <laughs> very, very fucking rarely do we ever talk about Trump unless it's something super absurd, uh, or super funny. Uh, but, but other than that, we, we really don't focus much of our energy on that because everyone else does. Um, but yeah, so, um, the pot yeah so that was interesting the podcast is definitely worth a listen for that he also talks about like his kind of history uh with watchmen uh and why he decided to finally do it but um yeah so the last couple scenes uh to talk about uh obviously we get our little 
Osmandius interlude. Um, Probably and... the, the most curious one yet. Uh, I, I, would <laughs> yeah, say. Yeah. I would say so. Although the play was pretty fucking batshit as well. But yes, there's, there's, there's a the, lot the, going the, on here. The play made sense to me in, in, in what it revealed about what he was trying to do with the clones, at least. To, oh, to yeah, for sure. Them. Uh, well, it's batshit that we they revealed that they were actually clones and that he had a bunch well, of right, fucking right, right. Uh, it it <laughs> kind of burned one alive. Like, the, the depths of his megalomania too. Whereas for the, sure, the, the first one, he's just kind of like, all right, well, he maybe he's just really close with his maid, and that's why he's <laughs> the typewriter. He's gonna write a play called The Watchmaker's Son, uh, and then we see he's just like you know live roasting his clones. <laughs> <laughs> who are too dumb to not get, walk into that fucking incineration chamber over and over, but mm. clearly still experience pain the way a real person would. And you're like, oh, my God, he's literally, you know, s- same as in the comic and in the movie. He'll just kill a staff and thinks nothing of it. Like, yeah. you know, he understands yeah. that, like, society is worth saving, but individuals are meaningless to him. Yeah. Uh, and, and, yeah, I, I, I love that it opens with the uh, uh, Desmond Decker track, uh, The Israelites, because it's just such, like, such a weird juxtaposition to this, like, castle he's living in. <laughs> um, but, you know, in the comic, he did he did say that, like, he had heard some kind of new form of reggae that he'd never heard before like jamaican music or something like that he like references it so they kind of oh wow that's they, interesting Call yeah, back, yeah yeah like it's, like, a, it's mu- a fucking bitchin song like I, I i was familiar with it but i didn't know that i, I oh, couldn't have told you the yeah. title of it uh i went through a big like early ska desmond decker ethiopians uh phase um like the, the old, like the really old stuff before mm-hmm. um uh, reggae really even existed when it was like uh, they call it like high life jazz, right? Which mm-hmm. kind of turned into ska. Uh, and you know, a lot of these artists would were coming from um, the Bahamas, like all the islands down there, and they would come to the U.S. to play jazz and would meet uh, you know these like mainland jazz artists who would then influence the stuff they would do when they came, went back to the islands. So uh, just love that track and, and love it. The camera's kind of you know, zooming in over all of his plans, you know, and you see like a drawing of a squid, right? So, you know, like he's still thinking about that. Uh, you see this model of a catapult that looks like it could launch something into space possibly. Uh, and, and, you know, it, it's, it's really bizarre too. Cause then we, we go outside and it, it looks like he's, you know, fashioning some kind of diving apparatus for like the, the 19th century, right. Out of uh, parts of a, uh, you know, like a, a little, a little globe with a real terrarium globe and like a knight's helmet. Like he's just fashioning whatever he can get his hands on yeah. uh, in this, what we learned to be actual prison that he's in or this world. Right. And we, we we're starting to believe he's not on earth, that this is some yeah. kind of. Constructed- so, yeah, let's get into that. Cause obviously, you know, we, I think we theorized that about that a little bit last week, but we, we, I think we did more of that theorizing off air, even after the, after we recorded the episode, um, you know, about whether or not he's on Mars, whether or not he's on a completely different planet. Uh, you know, obviously, Dr. Manhattan has the capability to bring him wherever he would, you know, want to, and even potentially has the capability to terraform a planet or just to find a planet in a different galaxy that has a habitable, you know, uh, atmosphere. But so, I mean, it, the, there's a lot of questions to go on here. So it's it's very obvious, though, that he's probably not on Earth. He's in some kind of a captivity, uh, we presume, by Dr. Manhattan, because theoretically that's the only person who could 
create this kind of a situation for him, coupled with the fact that we see Manhattan building a castle that's identical to Osmandius's castle on Mars and that kind of opening clip of him. Yeah, well, you I know. mean, you, you notice that it was only about a third scale of the yeah. castle. Like it was, it was like almost a, like a model he was working on. Yeah, and then he, like, immediately destroys it, or at least in the shot, yeah. we're led to believe. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the the I keep focusing on, or I keep thinking about the, the, the version of Philip that gets uh, apparently frozen to death uh, because it's like, okay, if he was catapulted out into space, what was the rope for? Like, was the rope 20 miles long <laughs> or, yeah. or is space not that high up actually in this world? Right. Cause we see that he's completely frozen. His body, his entire body is completely frozen. Uh, but if he was on, you know, say if space is only a thousand feet up and he's on a rope and he, you know, falls back down to earth, wouldn't he shatter upon impact if he's, his body is completely frozen? So I have a lot of possibilities <laughs> for this. Yeah. So, and, and also, by the way, this is coupled with another thing that we noticed early in the episode when he comes back in from that scene, he smacks down a cake that, you know, they're going to give him the, you know, for he's a jolly good fellow treatment. Yeah, and it's year. a third anniversary cake, um, which, you know, people take to mean probably the third anniversary of his incarceration, which is why he's so glum about it. Um, now, Lindelof on the podcast didn't specify, but he did say that. We're not seeing flashbacks with with Adrian. We, this is taking place concurrently to our story. Now, obviously, our story is taking place over the course of like a week right now or, or so, you know, in in, in real time uh, in Tulsa. So, you know, if actually a year is passing each of these interludes that we see, it's possible he's on a planet that has wildly different uh, gravity and, uh, you know, uh, a, you know lunar solar cycle than earth where the uh a year is uh you know either super I, i'm i'm not a i'm not a scientist i don't know exactly but essentially the the kind of theory of relativity when it comes to uh you know gravitational waves and things like that things that they discuss in right. inter, in, iller, in interstellar well, about like the i mean it, we're led to believe that that uh adrian Veitch has been uh in his own isolation for a while before he was you know uh, in this imprisonment whether that's two years three years whatever it is and you get the sense that like he's kind of become deranged on his own before these recent events right um, yeah. The fact that he, he has this uh, British accent, which, of course, Jeremy Irons would have, but uh, Adrian White most likely didn't right. have <laughs> yeah. uh, because he was a, a German immigrant to the U.S. or his parents were German immigrants and he lived in New York. So, you know, I don't know. Uh, but I, I, he, I, he's very pretentious even even before that though he was he named himself after fucking Ramses the second like he it, right. it's possible he affected that like on his you own. know just yeah, yeah I, to seem well, cultured you know? I, I messaged you earlier I was just saying <laughs> you know uh, delusions of grandeur sort of le- lends itself to adopting a 19th century affectation um <laughs> But yeah, I just I'm trying to figure out like what is uh, it, at first I wondered like was was there something in the tank on the suit the valve that he opens there's like a like a tank there mm-hmm. uh, it, was it like liquid nitrogen is that what froze him but then I turned on the subtitles and it says it, when he turns it on it says oxygen hissing yeah like okay so that's not what like the fucking subtitles well, once again reveal what the thing was so you 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 posited that like presumably. Uh, yeah, well, so I, when I mentioned to you, you know, off the air about how, oh, maybe he's on Mars and then, uh, 
Manhattan built a biodome and you mentioned like, oh, well, it, you know, it wouldn't be it, he wouldn't be able to escape a biodome. But I imagine that maybe it's less of a prison with bars situation where it's more of like a Truman show situation where there's like a door at the end. But mm-hmm. it's also like, where the fuck are you going to go? It's Mars. Like, what are you going to do? You know, like. So he maybe sent him out the door and or maybe the door is like up high and he catapulted him to the door. Like, I don't, who knows? Like, there's there's a variety of possibilities. Sure. Until we actually find and, out, you know, if it's Manhattan, it might just be like a, you know, an energy field that can hold in, you know, air. But a person could pass through it if you can get him up there high enough. Um, well, and so the re- oh, well, just but, real quick, the, the, yeah, the other yeah. thing I freeze froze was uh, in the, the preview for next episode, uh, mm. you see them, them like uh, hitting the gear that launches the catapults, but you don't see yeah. the actual arm flinging up. But you see uh, Vite with his, his uh, telescope, and you can see the reflection of a person flying through the air in the telescope <laughs> really tiny. So he's, he's not in, inside of like a, you know, like a little pod that could protect him. It's just, a, it's just a fucking human body flying through the air. <laughs> poor fucking guy. Yeah. Poor fucking. So yeah, I, Phillips. I, I, um, I can't wait to actually see that. The, what the, what uh, it looks like. In the episode. Easily the best part of this whole series so far has been this, this little fucking bizarre, but so, and the reason I think maybe it, that, that I'm still kind of like clinging to, Oh, maybe it's on Mars and he's in some kind of a prison situation is, if he was on another planet or even if he was on Mars, what it seems to me that what he's trying to do is develop a spacesuit that would actually keep him alive. Right. With the very limited means of technology that he has sure. in this Victorian style mansion, which is why we see him with all these blueprints and building this spacesuit out of like like old fucking armor, basically trying to figure right. out a way to. Well, at so, first I thought he was making he was like tanning the hides of the, the clones he had killed. Right. <laughs> well, that yeah, I had to go back and, and freeze frame it again to to look at the skins hanging out in that courtyard that they actually were. Pigs it was the skin. buffalo probably? Or, oh, okay, pigs. they were they were pigs. Yeah, and when he says you know we're gonna need thicker skin, he literally means like I need a nail. <laughs> yeah, we skin, uh, which is why he goes out to to you know go outside his his uh, territory and rides past that pirate flag uh, hanging from a fucking uh, scythe, Jeez, which is yeah. super fucking creepy, but. Uh, did you notice how bad the CGI was on the shadows of those buffalo? In that, no, in I didn't even. Shot? I didn't even look. I was, oh, I was so they looked confused. fine, but it's like one of those things where cheap CGI mm-hmm. often has shadows that don't match the environment of. It's a very hard thing to replicate. Yeah. Well, it's just they don't make them dark enough, right? Like there's trees in the background, and there's leaves that are about uh, five to ten feet off the ground, and the ground, the grass reads is totally black in that shadow. It stands to reason if leaves would cast a totally black shadow in full-on bright daylight that a, an animal that's you know weighs twelve hundred pounds and is completely you know solid would cast a shadow equally as dark. And they all go running off in the shadows like the it's like yeah they just didn't do the job basically. But yeah. it, it kind of took me out of the moment. <clears throat> but um, oh no! But so real quick, the reason I was I, I, I'm still kind of stuck on him being on Mars is because. So, like, theoretically, if he makes a spacesuit, he's still just a guy on a planet or, or, or in space. He's not going to be able to get himself back to Earth. My thinking is that he's trying to make a spacesuit so he can go and confront Manhattan, who's presumably sitting by himself on Mars, uh, outside of this this jail that he's holding him sure. in to try to appeal to his humanity. And maybe he's even trying to figure out a way to put on this play for him. 
um, or Maybe. to lure him to his prison to put the play on for well, him, which is why we see him, you know, trying to get this play. So there's a, there's a reason why I think that that's probably right. And a reason why I think that that's not right. And the, the reason I think it's not right is that when they last saw each other in the comic, he says, I'm going to go to another galaxy and create my own life. Like he, he pretty much says like, I'm done fucking around with Mars. I've already been there for a while. Yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see what else is out there. And if you're that bored with humanity after only, you know, what, 10, 15 years of being a god, like, why would you fuck around on Mars? Like, what else would you do on Mars? Right. So that's what makes, makes me think he's he's gone elsewhere and has bigger yeah. things to do. The reason why I think it is Mars is because that's the only other uh, extraterrestrial environment that exists in the Watchmen comics. Right. And also, as we kind of see at the very end of the episode, uh, Lori looks up and, and looks right at Mars. We see it. Like nice little, little presumably red, red dot, because uh, that, that people think that that may have been the sh- like the glimmer of the ship that dropped the car also. So like no, that's nah, I don't think that's what it is. I don't know because we didn't hear anything. We didn't hear anything that time, and that made quite a bit of noise the first time we saw it. But you know, well, but if it's super high up, I mean, it was a very like a you know UFO like. Cra- obviously, it was on like- it first time. I mean, besides the like the the searchlight that was you know just so they could find the thing, I didn't see any running. Well, lights on. well, we couldn't though because the magnet was what we got. If I remember correctly, it was just a view of the car lifting the magnet, so the magnet would have been blocking the underside of the yeah. of the craft. So it, it's hard well, to wh- whether it was dropped there by by Manhattan or not. I'm still pretty sure that we were maybe meant yeah, to yeah. believe that she's looking at what she knows to be Mars in the sky because that's where she thinks he is. I just don't think he's actually there. I think this is going to be something totally different, and they're, they're playing on our on our uh, what we know of the world uh, in, in the Watchmen, and they're going to expand upon it, and we're going to go, oh, that's this is there's way more out there that he's been up to and uh, has been exploring. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, you know, who knows where that's going, but I think we have some solid theories, and I think that'll be an interesting uh reveal when we do get it. It's also just what the hilarious. fuck is happening. Yeah, it's just so Jeremy fucking great, Irons like playing Ozymandias and just being so fucking. Fr- Did you read all the all the swear words he said when he was like kicking the the frozen Philip? I, I didn't today? read it. I I, I was oh, enjoying the shit just, out of it. It was but. just fucking motherfucking fuck shit. Like just going. <laughs> So this has got to be like the most fun uh, role he's had in fucking years. Like he's oh, just so uh, yeah, good I, in this role. I watched him at a bunch of interviews where he was like, "This is I got to ride a horse and I got to just fuck around." It was the most fun I've had in forever. And this yeah. is you know like this, this is like very accomplished, stagey Jeremy. I, you know, it's just it's like classically trained British. They don't, actor. They, don't they don't get roles like this. <laughs> yeah, no, this is for sure. And and his his shit was shot completely like separate from everyone else in Wales. Uh, the the entirety of his his scene, so that you know that's or well, presumably well, the entirety. I presumably, guess we'll find yeah. out I mean, we, if we, he gets we out or know. not. Uh, Lindelof did say you know eventually his his arc com, you know uh, converges converges yeah. yeah, and he he does there's a, there's a, one of the previews that basically says uh, he has a line um, where he basically says you know the 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 way to control people is through fear. My plan begins in Tulsa. Right. Yeah. So, so his plan is to go there somehow. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But he needs to get out of his his makeshift prison. Oh, and then, you know, one other thing we we didn't talk about with his his imprisonment is uh, the fact that there's this guy, the game warden, who is um, 
I guess, watching over him and doesn't want to. It, it basically sends him a very sternly worded letter uh, because he, you know, he he's he knows that he's trying to escape and he's trying to, you know, yeah. procure all these materials. And then we yes, get this great. I enjoyed the tomatoes. <laughs> <laughs> I I, that was it. to me the funniest scene of the whole, like him oh. dictating the response, the the polite but fucking stern, like exactly. angry response. Well, and did you notice that Crookshanks read it as tomatoes, and then Adrian <laughs> Adrian White said tomatoes, so yeah. like almost the old you know, tomato tomato joke. <laughs> uh, but I love that when he she starts to read the letter, dear, and then he stops her, and you you're like, oh, you almost thought you were to get to hear his name right then, and then he yeah. stops her and like, oh, they're going to deliberately like not tell you his name yet. Mm-hmm. So that that was almost, uh, I mean, sort of trying to hide it more kind of just like oh you thought you were gonna hear it or or potentially hear like a a, a fake name he had been using because they kind of said yeah. like different theories that he was hiding somewhere or had plastic surgery or had a secret identity and we're kind of like oh oh they're just gonna fuck us off of that and so yeah. when he finally says his name you're like oh okay at the end of the ele- at the yeah. end of the letter as he's yeah. you know but so and and Lindelof talked about that too in the podcast. He's like, yeah, like you know, it was he, he was like, I wasn't trying to fool anyone watching. Like anyone who's read the comic knew that was Ozymandias. Like they even for Comic Con introduced him as uh, probably who you think he is was, was right. his was his name when he came out to, for the panel. Although in the in the script he's referred to as like the blonde man. Um, but but yeah, it, so that was like a just to keep the kind of the kind of mystery intention of this of the kind of story it wasn't really necessarily trying to be like a big reveal as to who he was but it was it was you know it was nice to get the confirmation and then we see him later in the osmandius outfit you know full-on like mm-hmm. mask and a really goofy looking uh it's you know 80s sensibility um but so the game warden is an interesting character so i do you know uh, people are trying to theorize as to who it is a lot of people like oh that looks like uh mr phillips with a mustache like maybe he's just get uh gave himself like some kind of like competition Mm -hmm. but i don't he had like a little little zorro mask on the same that uh agent Petey had when he had sex with uh, Lori blake (laughs) which is yeah very lone ranger she like went to his his room and was like hey remember that uh, little uh lone ranger mask he had on the airplane could you (laughs) Put that on while we fuck each other. Yeah, that's, uh, pretend like I'm not into this stuff, but I totally. Or she walked in on him, like cranking it with the mask on. She's like, eh, whatever. <laughs> look, look, I'll just roll with it. You know? Yeah, well, what are those it, two? It sort of looked like she was looking at the giant Doctor Manhattan dildo and was like, you know, I, I maybe I should go uh, go bang the. Just a real one right down the hall, like you know? right, right. But they never. You never know if it was might have been a little bit of both. <laughs> yeah, that's that's also true. You know, yeah, <laughs> that's this is also true. Um, but so it, my my gut feeling is that if it is the same actor, it's not that it's a, another you know uh, Mr. Phillips clone. It's more the fact that whoever imprisoned him there gave him these clones, and that one of these clones is not for his amusement; it's for security, basically. And, right. you know, obviously that goes back to if he didn't make the clones, then probably his jailer did. And his jailer is probably Dr. Manhattan. So either this is a clone of Manhattan or just a clone that Manhattan made to watch over him mm-hmm. and make sure he doesn't get out of line. Um, so it's I don't know. It's interesting. Yeah, you know, it's, we'll it's find out more. His letter is so, you know, so obviously transparent. Uh, or, or just he's like my activities are purely for leasure. Have nothing, <laughs> you know, uh, when he when he's like your accusation paints me as a, a common republic 
comic villain like that's yeah. the, the comics that exist within the world of Watchmen. Uh, it's just it's like what is he really even doing this for? Is he that delusional, or is he is is this part of the process of trying to uh, bring about in another way possibly this confrontation with with Doctor Manhattan? In that he's trying to you know because he says you know if you want to discuss this in person, I'm at your you know I will meet yeah, you yeah, at yeah. your pleasure. Uh, <laughs> so. Yeah, but then he puts on the costume and he's like, I plan to go back out and hunt the buffalo at midnight. Right. And then we don't see that. Right. So are, are we going to jump to another year ahead in the next episode when we see him? Or are we actually going to see something happen that's yeah. still, you know, still later that day when he goes out to hunt buffalo <laughs> in his costume? <laughs> <laughs> Which I would. Yeah, I'd, I'd love the shit out of that scene. Um, but yeah, so um, that kind of wraps up his his arc for the episode. Uh, we get that scene uh, of Laura, uh, or of Laurie rather, and Angela uh, in the mausoleum. You know, Laurie goes to the mausoleum, I guess, knowing <laughs> that Angela is exploring it, um, or you know, presuming that she was uh, to kind of talk to her and kind of maybe size her up a little bit. So it's an interesting scene. Not a ton happens there, but it's just interesting to see the way that the two of them interact and the kind of disdain that. Lori seems to have for for masks now for you know for vigilantes now um and but you know it's it's just really interesting to see where that goes and who we're actually supposed to kind of (laughs) root for in the end because i Mm -hmm. i I do wonder if they're gonna kind of their paths are gonna you know be at cross purposes at some point in the the right well i mean it's this is the two badasses of the show Right. Like we've established that Angela is the, the OG badass. Right. And now we have a new one who at least looks at all the other mask vigilante cops and is just like, you're joking. Right. Yeah. Uh, and she's going to, you know, kind of put up her front <clears throat> and Angela's kind of just like, <laughs> like doesn't doesn't go for it. And then pours out the coffee and it's just sort of like a little fuck you. Like, here's what I think of your coffee. But it's also you know not not that she doesn't know who she is but it's also like she pulled a little here's your coffee and now i got your dna and go find out shit about you with will in the last episode right Uh, so it's almost like a little like oh yeah hey you know how you wanted me to sip on this coffee and you know then potentially have my dna well fuck you to that like and and we don't pick up on that that's interesting though yeah yeah that that was what it read to me immediately was yeah, I'm going to be your friend and give you some coffee, but here's my adversarial questions. And she realizes this person is not a friend at all. Uh, and, and probably is her about her and just pours it down the hole. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, and it was also just, just great because, uh, you know, you, you, if these people knew each other, they'd probably be on the same side. Right. But you've got somebody who is a masked vigilante, who is now being kind of shook down by this anti-vigilante task force leader who shoots vigilantes in the back. Yeah. Right. And, and well, sees it, a very yeah, obvious threat. And somebody who, yeah. somebody who wants to was good. You know, she doesn't find out she was going to exhume uh, the body until that scene. Right. So yeah. it's, it's only then that she really knows this person's looking for things that she doesn't want found. Right. Or things at least she was willing to hide until she could find them herself. Yeah. And Lori to me does not read like a zealot necessarily that she hates the man. Like she, she hates certainly what, you know, vigilanteism has done to her life, but I, she really just reads to me as like a, a deeply lonely person who's just very, you know, 
nihilistic about everything because of just the kind of you know what she's gone through and the kind of abandonment issues no, that for she sure, has for that. sure because if she was an ideologue about catching vigilantes she would just arrest her right there right because yeah. she makes it clear that she knows that she has this alter ego or yeah. that angela has this alter ego right so she's not there to do that she's there to actually solve this case because she's professional in her work as a, as a federal agent uh but yeah, it just totally goes about trying to get information the wrong way by putting up this this you know really tough woman attitude that Angela just kind of walks away from uh, when she's like, "Oh, you good guys for breakfast?" It's just like, "Oh, come on," <laughs> laying out a little yeah. thick. Uh, yeah. But also, just this scene, I think, is one of the first times the show passes the uh, the Bechdel test, where uh, for you know basically it's it's pretty low bar for uh, female representation in films and cinema and TVs. But uh, basically you just have to have at least two women characters that have a conversation that's about something other than a man. Right. And you'd be amazed how many shows can't even do that. Right. So yeah, yeah, this, this was probably, I mean, I love all the, all the Andrea invite stuff. Right. I love all the Jeremy Irons stuff, but this was my favorite scene because it's like, these are the two, two strongest characters on the show. Uh, who are now in direct conflict with each other, or at least seemingly are so from from this, right? So will yeah. they eventually become friends and work together? I hope not. <laughs> I hope they're both so stubborn and are who they really are that they, you know, they they uh, don't do yeah. that. They don't. Well, it do still the seems up. like. Well, I mean, it still seems like though the bigger threat, the existential threat, other than the Seventh Cavalry, is going to be whatever. Vite is working on and potentially whatever Lady True is is up to. Like that's that'll be an interesting <laughs> thread to follow and whether or not all these people who are kind of at cross purposes have to kind of team up to stop the major threat, which is, you know, would be an interesting reflection of the theme of the original Watchmen uh where they all theme th- you know team up to fight off this imaginary uh, threat so it, you know it, it's interesting and i'm I'm very curious to see this, we're already a third of the way through the season so and it already uh, feels like more show than i've had mm-hmm. to think about our process in years yeah. Uh, no, for sure. yeah i just i don't see lindelof doing like a big team up where they all join forces and they all get along and figure out like hey well, here's what's no, here's the no, real enemy like sure. that's just not the, the the story that he's interested in telling they may, they may all certainly you know take steps to diffuse the bigger situation but they're not going to be you know uh, they're not going to be the watchmen for sure like that's not what it's building towards although you know watchmen weren't even the watchmen they were like the crime busters (laughs) that was their actual (laughs) fucking name for a while but like yeah they were you know and that was what was was so amazing about the comic the watchmen was because it was like here's this is this is really the postscript of a group that doesn't even exist anymore and really it's just three people and even they gave it up after a while and they they kind of get back together just for like one last couple you know a couple days really, and that's yeah. that's that's the the real story, right? It's just that there was here's the whole history of how we got to this point, and how these people became so broken that makes it so fucking interesting because we're we're so used to, the, like the gritty broken down uh, you know uh, dark knight version of every superhero character now. Uh, that we it's it's hard to think remember the context of what made the Watchmen so pivotal in 1985 because at that point comic you know superheroes were still like pure good <laughs> you know there there yeah. was not moral complexity in the world of comic books much not nearly as much as there is now at least yeah no for sure 
Um, so we get the uh, final scene after that uh, with uh, Lori or uh, Lori's in the booth, and it's the kind of conclusion of the joke she's telling, and you kind of really see uh, the first time she really the, the veneer breaks, and she kind of you know shows that she really is at deep down just you know a deeply lonely person who puts on these puts up these walls to to hide the fact that she you know still misses dr manhattan and still you know uh misses uh daniel dryberg you know night owl and um she you know leaves the uh the phone booth after you know her call expires you know tear rolling down her cheek and she walks outside after telling this story about a brick falling you know from the sky um and killing god and killing god and <laughs> literally 40 seconds later which is ironic somebody actually counted but you know because she mentioned the, the the phone mentions like you know takes about 40 seconds to transmit this call to mars uh and about 40 seconds later this car falls from the sky angela's and almost car. crushes her and it's yeah and we realize it's angela's sky. car <laughs> Uh, from the, you know, that we see get lifted away, uh, in the second episode or first episode. Um, and so, and then she starts laughing and, you know, is looking up at the sky and sees a red dot either, you know, it's either, as we mentioned, either Mars or maybe it's the ship that, that dropped the car, you know, flying away. But in any event, it's unclear whether or not she's laughing because she thinks he's listening or if she's laughing because of some other, you know, like she, she understands something about the 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 ship that that picked Will up and took the car away. Like I don't. That's yet to be determined. She, not, she but, not even know about that. I mean, I don't. Nobody but Angela may know about that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I took her laughter as just kind of a little bit of joy, believing that after all this time, Doctor Manhattan had responded to her, right? And that was his response was to drop that car. Uh, as, as a little like wink of like, Hey, I got your joke. I listened to it, yeah. you know? So that, that's what it means to her. Now, whether that's what really happened. Exactly. Yeah. We don't know. Unclear. Right. And, and it doesn't matter. Cause that's just, that's what she thinks, right? That's her read on it. it like you said, it, it could, you know, that could still be Mars, but maybe the, the car was dropped from that hover ship from just really high up. Right. Uh, or maybe that little dot was a light from it. You know, we don't know. We don't know. I still think it's Mars, whether that had anything to do with Dr. Manhattan remains to be seen i i kind of think it doesn't but that's her reaction certainly uh yeah no. shows that that's Ar- what she thinks it is yeah occam's razor would say that it's it's probably was dropped from the from the actual ship that left it you know or that that picked it up in the first place because i don't know but it, then it's another question of like did that ship float around for two days why did it drop it like it's just a weird right there's a lot to be answered to, with well, that. Scene, it, it, it didn't have a 105 year old black man in the car at the time <laughs> when it got dropped. No, he, so. he got him out. He got him out in the interim. So clearly, it landed at some point uh, and/or retracted yeah. up into the ship. I, I mean, I, I'm fairly sure that his that, uh, Will's friends in high places is uh, you know Lady True, and or or others that's, at True Industries. Uh, that's like the yeah. Who else solution. would have? Lots of high tech stuff, right? Because it's, you know, at first we we saw the you know the little the little owl ship, uh, yeah. Archie. That was people keep saying that that that's the only one that exists. Right? That's, yeah, I don't and think that's like true. That's, no, that's not how technology that's works. Like, yeah, if they if they could have the technology to have to repair it for thirty five years, certainly they would have the technology to build more of them. And well, I like our theory of like the only how yeah. Oh, yeah. 
Well, if that's the only one, how did it get from New York into the hands of the Tulsa Police Department? Like, that's just... Well, that's why I like... <laughs> makes I, like, sense. You know, I mentioned the first episode how in real life we have that that program that Obama signed into law where police departments get to buy surplus military goods for civilian use, which is why we have fucking mm. tanks rolling down the streets of... Um, like Ferguson when there were, you know, nonviolent sure. protests. So like that, so I, I think it shit might even be military use too. That's yeah. That's my pres- presumption is that it was something that was, was then taken and reverse engineered for military use. And then by proxy was then set, you know, sold off it, it for police, you know, in the, like law enforcement use in, in, you know, civilian communities. So, mm-hmm. um, but, and, and in any of it, and it's like, you know, some fucking little podunk, you know pd buys like instead of buying a tank and doing like fucking youtube videos set to metallica it you know the tulsa pd bought a fucking owl ship to do surveillance and you know um burn cessna's out of the sky burn cessna's out of the sky so yeah so uh yeah it's probably true i think we initially had speculated oh maybe that's what maybe night owl is you know is still around but like he is it seems to be pretty clear at this from this episode that he is still in fbi custody uh, and that's going to be one of the driving factors behind Lori's, you know, arc, we presume. Um, so yeah, it, it's probably lady true. Uh, maybe it's another one of the Minutemen. you know, the, the fact that they pick up will who we presume is, is, is a uh, hood of justice may, you know, who knows, but we'll, we'll find out about that. So that's how the episode ends. Um, really great fucking episode. Really love the fact that the story is setting up all of these, uh, just insane plot threads where it's like I can't think of any possible way they would res- resolve this to make it would make it make sense. But I I do have confidence that it's going to like that's right. You know the the kind of tightrope, and, and that's actually something Lindelof mentioned in the podcast. He's like, look, you're supposed to be nervous right now as a viewer that like I'm not going to be a, that 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 we're not going to land this plane. Like I, that's how I want you to feel as a viewer at this point. Like he literally said that. I was like, this, this is fucking great. Uh, he's like, yeah, no, this, I, I want you to be scared that this is going to go off the rails and jump the shark because like, that's what, you know, people kind of have pinned on him since lost. And I think, you know, we've talked a lot on the previous episodes about how that's not necessarily fair, even though obviously lost did kind of go off the rails. It was more so the fact that the network was like, Hey, this is our most profitable show write three extra seasons like even though you don't have the material and i think lindelof has shown you know with with his work on the leftovers that when given the actual creative control to say look this is the finite story i'm going to tell he's a fucking great storyteller and a tremendous you know uh, filmmaker so well the 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 phrase that he used in some of the other interviews uh that i watched was uh stick the landing right which basically means that um you know, from the takeoff to landing, it was flawless the entire time. And he's like, I think I did. I think I did. <laughs> I worry I didn't. But I, that was the plan was to yeah. just start to finish, have everything be perfect. Right. Uh, and this episode had to set up a lot with a you know brand new character who, you know, from watching this, you would think this is the, the main protagonist. Right. Sure. Uh, and really was the most. um the most Watchmen esque from what we know of the comic originally, uh, in, in the movie, as far as the events that take place and acknowledging that mythology, 
uh, as opposed to our real world and the racial history uh, that, that the first two episodes were exploring and expounding upon and educating the audience about for people that yeah. had no idea about the Tulsa race massacres. And just to say, like, this is the thesis of this entire show is right. going to be, you know, race and, and the history of white supremacy. Sure. And well, and, the, and they still acknowledge it. They didn't totally throw it away. And I love the, the ways they did because, like, especially we didn't really talk about this scene very much, but the scene where she goes into the warehouse to talk to uh, Looking Glass, mm-hmm. she goes into the pod. And I love what she's talking <laughs> line. It's like, hey, I know there's a long line, but could I cut in here? Because I'd, I'd like to, to. She just grabs the remote control and starts fucking with it. So he's like, please, please don't do that. But, please, please give me the controller back. And she totally <laughs> cut, controls everything. And then Looking Glass, who's been the interrogator, Right, has suddenly is suddenly being interrogated in his own pod, and she's like, "Oh, so it's a racist detector." He's like, "That is an oversimplification, man. <laughs> it is a way to, to, to like he, just, he doesn't he doesn't like that it's she just it's cuts so through it. She I cuts know. through his like bullshit like routine where he's like this intimidating figure who's like very measured, and she's just like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So she's you, literally she's looking at him. She's like, oh, I got a little poppy seed in my teeth here. She's like, look, you got a mirror for a pay face. People are going to use it for that. Like, just get with it. And so fucking good. Just like credit to Gene Smart uh, for just being a fucking hilarious actor. Where you know on a, on a show that's this fucking heavy. In this series, she can just parachute in and just fucking crank out these hilarious yeah. lines. Um, and you know, obviously, credit to the writing that you, you know, write it, you know, because originally the, the you know the carry character of Lori Blake uh, had, did not have that much depth to it. It was mostly just like Alan Moore's, like, oh, here's a woman and she's a victim of of men being shitty and toxic yeah. and awful. Uh, and you know, one of the bad byproducts of a 80s comic, you know, or an sure, 80s story. Sure. And then, you know, the original Silk Spectre too, which is like, oh, hey, I could be a superhero for my modeling gig, you know, and kick that yeah. out. Like they didn't really have a lot of ambition beyond, uh, or a lot of depth beyond just like, here's, here's, here's a deeper story about all these male characters that are fractured and flawed, but the women are just kind of defined by, uh, the terrible sexual things men do to them. Right. Yeah. And then you see, you know, obviously I, I would say that the showrunners and the, and the writers portrayal of Lori Blake is a lot more in line with the kind of female, uh, FBI type protagonists that we see in later works. Like, like I mentioned, Clarice Starling, you mentioned was a big, inspiration and even uh like dana scully who is obviously modeled a little bit after clarice starling in terms of the inspiration huge role model huge role model for me when i was growing up as as an adolescent teenage boy uh to see a character like dana scully uh one of the most amazing characters on tv uh at a time when there was still just so much sexism on uh you know in the 80s and 90s on television and that you, even you, you go back and you like you watch how the character fox Mulder treats her in the the framing of like just casual sexism in the 90s and you're like what a fucking dick <laughs> he's kind of a yeah. dick to her all no, the for time sure. but he's uh, a lovable dick so yeah, you, we yeah, forgive him no, we do we do um but yeah but just, is, yeah just amazing character uh just you know scientist and doctor and just all the things they actually did a study where like women in stem went up significantly after like the first three seasons of the x-files aired it was some crazy like yeah like like a noticeable bump where it was like that had to have been attributed to the fact that she had to be (laughs) x-files yeah Yeah. Um, well oh by the way we always talk about you know you know girls need positive women role models it's like well so so do young boys young boys need to have positive women role models 
so yeah. they respect them, <laughs> right? Yeah, no, and absolutely. I, yeah, and that I, you know, I, I, I remember that I was just like, this is this is, you know, it's a it's a better, just a more interesting character. I mean, Fox is kind of just like. He's like fucking dipshit. Like, I love Fox Mulder, but he's a dipshit. Like, he's always like, oh, yeah, Scully, the fucking, you know, were beast of, of, of North Bergen, New Jersey. is, And she's like, OK, no, dude, it's, yeah. it's not a thing. The only internal struggle <laughs> Fox has is like he lost his sister as a kid. Dana Scully's got just tons of internal strife between yeah. her job and then the religion versus science thing. And then, you know, whether... Uh, she had an alien baby or not, and just like you know, her sister and her mother. The episodes with, with her mother are some of the ones yeah. that just like choke me up the most. But yeah. Um, and then speaking of going off the rails, when we get into later <laughs> seasons with fucking alien babies and yeah, good god. Um, but oh, by the way, another funny little X Files reference in this episode. Uh, Lori's eating sunflower seeds like several times, which is like a Fox Mulder like specialty. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yep. It was just a fun little Easter egg that I was like, oh, that's definitely like a nod to, to Mulder. Yeah, but, she, um, she goes to get out of the van to go uh, confront um, Pirate Jenny and Red Scare. She uh-huh. hands the, 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 the sunflower seeds to uh, Agent Petey. She goes, here, don't eat these. <laughs> She's like, just hold on to these, but don't eat them. <laughs> Such a, what a fucking... Like, yeah, no, I, I love the way she treats him throughout the episode with the coffee too. She's like, "Did you drink out of this yet?" He's like, "No, why?" And she just fucking takes it to bring it to Angela. Yeah, it's again, so another little thing that made me wonder if it was, you know, she was trying to kind of do that same DNA. Oh yeah, that's see, I thought she was being a dick, but that's actually a good point. Like, oh, like as long as you didn't contaminate this with your DNA, I can use yeah. this to get her DNA. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and not that she did, like I said, not that she didn't know who what her name was. But there's you know a, a ton of other things that you can find out with someone's DNA. So yeah, yeah, no, for sure, yeah. Um, so I think we pretty much covered everything uh, from the episode. Uh, another great episode. Can't wait to keep, see where this goes. Uh, you know, as as I said, we're a third of the way through. So you know, we, we, the first act is done. We've 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 developed the characters for the most part that we're going to spend the rest of the story with. It's really just going to be. Uh, setting up the kind of final machinations of of whatever the end game of the story is going to be in the next you know two or three episodes or so. So, All very right, excited so to see where w- that goes. Which, w- what's your uh, over under on whether Doctor Manhattan is actually going to be on the show? Oh, I, I ninety. Okay, so I would I would say for me it's a ninety percent certainty that we will see him in some form and probably get dialogue from him. And, and I mean, it, it not just in terms of like, you can't like, you know, that's he's the Chekhov's gun of this entire series. Like, they, you know, everything about him right. looms super large. But the same way that I, I assume we're going to get at least some clip of Robert Redford on this show, even though, you know, they, they've jokingly said that he won't was be exactly, appearing. Yeah, I was asking Ash the other night. I was like, all right, so why don't they just show Robert Redford as president? Because clearly... He'll, he'll I think do little yeah. cameos. Is like Maybe a, Manhattan is doc, is Robert Redford. Maybe he's disguising himself oh as Robert Redford. I don't. I don't buy any no, of those no, theories. No. Of like, oh, what is? Who is he disguised? Like, I don't. No, 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 no entertain no. those. But um, yeah, it, 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 for anyone that doesn't know the the uh, what is it, the Chekhov's gun? Uh, Wait, it's just a fi- it's just a fictional concept from you know from the beginning of storytelling basically where it's right. like if, if you, you show a gun, gun in the first act you have to show someone get shot by the third act it has to fire it has to fire eventually yeah it's not yeah but so 
Um, I, yeah, I think we're definitely again, and that's not even just purely because of that. I think we you know we we have that like in the coming weeks on where we certainly see somebody in a suit with a blue hand. You know, like it. it, it if that's yeah, not Manhattan, but the hand's it's, not glowing though, right? And we well, we, but he can he can control the level of his glowiness. in the comics, yeah, be, yeah to yeah. like not freak people out that he's like radioactive, which is actually a big concern in this universe because everyone thinks he's right cancerous so he probably would try to dull his coloring to not make people think that he's radioactive we've also seen a very naked philip uh painted blue so that that kind of is like my one little doubt as to whether that hand that picks up the mask and the suit is actually him well there's uh, also and, and, and i don't think this is really much of a spoiler because they release it's publicly released info episode eight of the series and just skip ahead 15 seconds if you don't want to hear this uh is called a god walks into a bar so i I, like and that coupled with that shot which looked like it was in a bar leads me to believe that that's probably what that refers to but i mean again that could be a head fake that that particular shot was from the there's like an uh like an at night little festival going on like street fair and uh something happens and everyone like scatters and throws everything on the ground right and then mm-hmm. this figure is kind of walking into the space where all of these things are laying on the ground, including this Dr. Manhattan mask that the then blue hand reaches down to uh, to pick up. Um, a very early trailer kind of juxtaposed like the, the people sort of uh, scattering in fear at this outdoor night festival with uh, Adrian Veidt saying, you know, the, the, the greatest way to control people is through fear. And they see people screaming and running, and then this, this uh, you know, the blue hand comes down, picks out the max. So, uh, oh yeah, so I'm actually looking at that shot now, and that looks to be downtown. I could be wrong, and I'm maybe it, it looks like, a, like an outdoor carnival kind of a thing. It looks almost. like it might be downtown yeah. Tulsa, though. Like it, it's certainly not wherever Vite is. So no. I mean, it's yeah, and, and so like that's why I would I would think it's probably not Mr. Phillips. It's if anything, it's probably Doctor Manhattan. But you know, it could just be a head fake. But it to me, that's like yeah. Apparently, there's like rumors that John Cena might be playing Doctor Manhattan, which is interesting. I don't know who that is. He's a he's a pro wrestler, but he's also an actor now. He was in uh, I don't know what the fuck you would have seen him in uh, Grown Ups. Did you see Grown Ups? Uh, nope. He's like he's he's pretty funny. He's actually I think he's in the new Suicide Squad movie, but um. Yeah, but in any again, event, probably not gonna see that either. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll go. I'll go watch the Birds of Prey. Oh, but you know what? You know, what's your name? Is uh, amazing, but. Yeah, now Birds of Prey. Well, but the new Suicide Squad's like a total reboot with James Gunn, the guy who did the Guardians movies, doing yeah. it. So it, it could be better. I, pres- I, it has to be better than that fucking movie. <laughs> no, Jared Leto. It's got to be better. But in any event, um, yeah. So Manhattan. I don't know. Where, where, where do you put the odds at? Do you think we're we're gonna get Manhattan or? Uh, I I feel like it would be, uh. The, the the wrath from fans that uh, Lindelof would get if he just it was just teasing it, teasing it, teasing it, and have it not happen, and it's just like, oh, he's so mythological that like, or you know, he's so legendary that uh, he, he's he's never coming back for any reason. We just you know teased it out for no reason other than to fuck with you. Like that would ruin his career. He would be like the new D and D for Game of Thrones, where just all the fans fucking hate him <laughs> for for you know never having Manhattan actually show up. So I think he's smarter than that. Um, I, I'd put it at at least eighty five percent chance that he's going to be in the show. 
Yeah. And by the way, when I just Google that, because I, I kind of saw that the other day, but apparently there's like a bunch of articles about how John Cena's teased in the public that he's playing Dr. Manhattan. So I don't know. And this is from two years ago, like when they first were doing concepts of the series and like casting. And he's tweeted a bunch of pictures of it. I don't know. It, he could just be trolling, but like it seems like a, a good fit if he's just making a quick cameo and it's not going to be like a multi, you know, uh, he's got the build for it. Put it that way. So that 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 leads me also to believe that that'll probably happen. Yeah. Um, well, and you notice yeah, with the, the Andy Warhol uh, painting on Laurie's wall, uh, the the depiction of Lori Blake was based on her face. Yes, yeah. So I was trying to figure out who else was in that picture. Like right. I was like, and who does the, that look the, like? The depiction of Ozymandias looked very much like Jeremy Irons' face, right? Yeah. So I'm looking at the the Doctor Manhattan face, and that his fucking neck is like wider than his head. Right. Well, so Google <laughs> a picture of John Cena, and you'll you'll see his. It, I, I could certainly see his. Right, let me take a look here him pulling that that face off like to picture that with like white eyes actually even the google image when you like uh, the first image i can kind of even see it like oh uh, yeah okay fucking blockhead yeah, uh, yeah for sure <laughs> um it's all the kids i never hung out with when i was a fucking kid um um and that in night owls obviously completely covered and you know maybe I, i'm actually curious that's another thing i'm curious about whether or not we'll see night owl like in person on the show i bet we will i hope we will <laughs> yeah. i, 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 I just, always find his character very interesting like the kind of schlubby yeah. like every man like that thinks he's batman yeah. like john cena yeah. dr manhattan is what i just googled and there's like just a ton of videos of it and then people superimposing his face over the fucking Zack snyder v- version of yeah 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 it could yeah. be i don't know what kind of acting chops he's got but oh wow he's funny he's, funny. he's like uh he's he's got I, I i don't know if he's quite as good as batista but he's he, I, he seems like he could work his way up to being that type of a comedic big muscle bound like goof has, type, has he ever know? worn little tiny rims he, he, uh, i've never seen him wear this before little no, fucking that's, that's little cheaters yeah. you know <laughs> like, yeah. uh as he's calmly you know talks to ryan gosling before they fucking uh go at it uh but no um so yeah uh i think uh you know i I really am excited to see where the show goes and uh we'll definitely be covering it going forward i think i think it's safe to say you know we haven't talked about this but i i think it's safe to say at this point this show is going to be worth covering till the end of the season at least you know oh yeah we'll review every episode of this show for Um, sure we've been talking about um doing a review for each episode of mandalorian I I hope it's about a lot more than just the regular Star Wars world. I feel like this being that it's the first live action Star Wars TV show, they might try to work in some more uh, levels of more ambiguity and political intrigue because they've got the space to do it. Uh, I think so. And, and, you know, especially with the people involved in it, fucking Werner Herzog. I would not come out to do just a basic ass, you know, no, <laughs> just no. like um, swords and space movie. Pedro um, Pascal from Game of Thrones fame. Uh, I think it's going to be a great, great fucking leading man in this. Yeah. Uh, not not the kind of person you would think they would cast as the lead. Right. But, but he's super charismatic. Like, I think he'll be a great fucking bounty hunter. Like, like, you know, it, he's, it'll be a really interesting shades of gray type. Yeah. protagonist. I, I, I just don't want him to do like bounty hunter with a heart of gold kind of thing. 
Like, I don't want him to do that. I want it to be like really like, oh, I don't know how I feel about that. Like, and really push, like, you know, push the, the, you know, the, not, the empire is evil, but the baseline society in star Wars is, is very like just, uh, futile. Yeah. As far as like the, the like bad things happen, it's just like, all right, that's just the way it is. Sorry. Like nobody's yeah, yeah. working to change the world. Right. So I want to kind of, um, I, I want to see a show that really explores that. And that some of these decisions that, you know, like, like with rogue one, where fucking the, the very first scene, the guy kills his own informant so that he doesn't get captured. And it's like, Oh shit, this is, I want to, I want more of that. I want to see that world. Yeah, no, absolutely. And obviously I, I, can't fucking wait to see the obi-wan series I, i've been actually super nostalgic for the uh and mcgregor obi-wan you know lately because i've been yeah, I'm, reading a lot of material like a lot of like reviews have been coming out lately because it's kind of like a lot of the anniversaries are coming up for like revenge of the sith and shit. so it's like very i like i i think he's he definitely like got a raw deal being stuck in that series like you know because he <laughs> ewan mcgregor is the only fucking reason to go back and watch those shitty movies yeah he, he's just even the uh, he fucking kills it in like in Revenge of the Sith. Yeah. yeah, no, it, there was. I think I mentioned before that somebody did a no cheese edit of all the prequels and put it on YouTube. Mm-hmm. And I, sh- I wish I would have downloaded them when I had the chance while they were still up because they took them down for copyright, obviously. But uh, I'll find each, it on a torrent site. And I'll each one uh, they cut out about ten to fifteen minutes of just like the really dumb cheesy, like oh here's. You know, just stupid jokes, and here's R two pod like, racing, well, Jar Jar. Yeah. They cut out all that oh, shit. Yeah, they cut a lot of it out. Or a lot and of it. Yeah. It they are way better movies by just trimming off some of that cheesy shit. So they called them the no no cheese edit. Um, but yeah, yeah, when I when I heard they were going to cancel the Obi Wan movie, I was just like, but that's the that's the only one that I want to see, right? And they're like, oh, yeah. but we're going to make an Obi Wan TV show, and I'm like, oh, just jerk me off now. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, uh, so and by the way, just another hot take on the prequels. And it's probably not that hot of a take if you actually go back and watch them. Hayden Christ, obviously, everyone knows Hayden Christensen really fucking bad in the second movie. That whole movie is just terrible. <coughs> uh, but that's mainly because of the love scenes. If you take the third movie and cut out a lot of the the kind of love scene. And and it's not just because like oh fuck love, but like George Lucas doesn't know how to write dialogue between two a man and a woman in love. He just doesn't know how to do it. But if you actually look at Hayden Christensen's acting in the third movie, it's actually really good for a lot of that movie. Like the like the stuff between him and Obi Wan's fucking great. I think it's fucking tremendous. It's some yeah. of the best stuff in the whole Star Wars universe. So like that's another movie that probably really benefits from like the the no cheese cut, which I, I definitely want to go seek out now. There is that one scene where uh, they are, uh, you know, the, the uh, princess uh, and then uh, uh, Anakin are, are, there's no dialogue. They're both in their like penthouse suites of, of their different uh, condo towers a thousand feet in the air. And they're just, they're kind of like staring at each other from miles away, not really staring at each other, but looking in the, in the same direction. There's no dialogue at all. And it's just kind of like, it's a great scene of two people who aren't even in the same room, not talking, and you feel everything from these these actors from just nonverbal performance. It's a great yeah. little moment in that movie. Yeah, I think they really got a raw deal with some of the dialogue they had to try to to make us believe in. I, I think that really, you know, did a lot of 
that that did a lot to 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 color people's you know images of the prequels and rightfully so but i think yeah i think largely that the hayden christensen so what, you is don't, not as bad as people think he's just got you don't really think i hate sand you don't think oh, that's good god, the work, the work, oh my god <laughs> everything on that that scene i i literally want to like dr- like hammer a nail slowly into my fucking brain watching that that scene that whole dialogue scene with the two of them on naboo it's just fucking brutal absolutely oh, brutal but Anyway, but uh, you know, all that's to say, Obi Wan series is going to be fucking great. Hopefully, they explore his his rival rivalry with Darth Maul because, as we know from the Clone Wars, Darth Maul didn't actually die at the end of Phantom Menace. What? And, yeah, yeah, I, I already knew that. And um, you know, it's implied also when he when they fight in Rebels that they've had other battles before. So I think that might be something that we might see in uh in the obi-wan series that'd yeah that's a great little fight scene they had in uh in in rebels because it was just like boop, done <laughs> yeah <laughs> right that's how you fucking do it obi-wan way to go yeah, uh sure. yeah that'll be good i, I it's you never get that you, that that worry that you hear a project get announced and you're like i really hope that even Rivera doesn't die in a car crash because i feel like really don't want this <laughs> like you just get really you get yeah like, no, that just such a bummer like yeah <laughs> you know that they had like a tragic accident and then the show at least happened. it's not a at least we're of the double whammy of like him being like like alec guinness like it's not like a, an 80 year old actor where you're like playing russian roulette like oh, i was even gonna make it right. to the first fucking episode <laughs> but no at least we know it like it, he probably will be fine as long as there's no freak uh so yeah no so that's i, I imagine that series is probably a couple years away but if you know if it's looks as good as we think it'll be we'll probably end up reviewing that too yeah um, well i mean speaking of looking good like definitely excited for mandalorian uh it's gonna be the same cinematographer the same director of photography as we actually call them in the industry uh for one, right? for mandalorian as as was rogue one uh and just, just or amazing. dp if you're super inside slash want to make a double entendre to dp yeah there you go now speaking of the dr manhattan dildo yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, man um yeah, so uh, yeah, I think that about does it for us this week. Hour uh, obviously, three, we're there, we're done. <laughs> <laughs> I remember, like, we, we were talking about, like, oh, I don't know if you, you were saying the other week, like, I don't know if we're gonna even do like an hour on every episode. And I'm like, yeah, I don't know, I think we'll probably <laughs> ramble on for at least you know twice the length of the episode as yeah. we did for Game of Thrones. We, so we just can't let the mystery be. <laughs> yeah no for sure that's for all your leftovers fans which is a show everyone should fucking watch if you haven't already watched it another Lindelof show um yeah so uh if you want to support the show obviously the easiest way to do that's to rate review and subscribe on apple Podcasts, uh and you can share the show out from there you can share it out on soundcloud soundcloud.com slash move left um we are on facebook also facebook.com slash move left idiots you know, we uh, got 300 new followers on the fucking Facebook page just in the last week. Huh. I, yeah. I bet you that has something to do with the show because we actually get more plays on this podcast than we do on our political podcast. So, like, this podcast is very much taking off, which we really appreciate, uh, you know, they, that you guys are listening and, you know, sharing it out and uh, engaging with it. Uh, if you do like the show, you could you know come check us out every week we do our political show if you're if you're into politics or if you're, even if you're not if you want to learn about politics if you watch the Watchmen Star Wars you got to be into politics and don't yeah, tell no, me like oh, sure. I'm not political cuz I guarantee there's some bullshit at your job that's political that you don't like so you got to have And some if you're s- 
And if you're still watching Watchmen, you're probably not a right winger because all the right wing piss babies have, you know, shit their <laughs> pants already about this show and like downvoted it on IMDb and Rotten Tomatoes. So anyone still watching is definitely like at least a, a, a half a leftist at this point. So if you're a half a leftist, come listen to Move Left Idiots every Thursday and we'll make you a full blown socialist uh, with it within no time um, yes, for sure. Yeah. So check that out. Uh, Patreon too, right? Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, well patreon.com if you want to support the show that way, patreon.com slash move left. If you want to pick up any merch from our main show, it's tinyurl.com slash move left merch. I am on Twitter at move underscore left. And as always, I'm on Twitter at smut collector, spelled an E-R, not an O-R. Yeah, we'll see you next week. <laughs>